Good morning. Thanks, Stephen. My name is Sarah. I'm one of our associate pastors, and I'm really excited to share with you this morning. I just, I really love preaching because it gives me an opportunity to dig into a passage, to study it, to learn from it. Uh, I'm just really excited about the passage that I get to speak out of this morning. Uh, So when I was in my 20s, I moved into my first real house. I'd been in apartment buildings before, and so I was in my first real house, and I set about doing some of the household tasks. So my first summer, uh, the obvious task was mowing the lawn. We had a very small front lawn, a pretty small back lawn, so I went to the closest secondhand store with my sister who I was living with, and we just picked out a a used lawnmower, just a regular push lawnmower, and uh, I went home and mowed the lawn mowed the lawn and mowed the, like, it was tiring. I was surprised. You know, you see old guys out there mowing their lawns, just regular push lawnmowers, not the the fancy ride-on with a cup holder and sound system and air conditioning. Like, you know, no shirt on, they got a little bit of a gut hanging out. They, They don't look like they're in good shape. But man, I had new respect for them. They were actually in quite good shape when I discovered how hard it was to mow my lawn. And the neighborhood kids, they offered to mow it for me for just $10, which is probably a good deal that I should have taken them up on. But I'm a Schneider, and in my family of origin, we do not complain and we do not quit things, no matter how counterindicated it would be and what a good idea it would be to pay $10 to get it done. And uh, one day my brother was visiting me, and he watched me mow the lawn. And as he doubled over laughing... I realized I was missing something. I had started the lawnmower with that like pull thing, right? And I had no idea that there was a power on the handlebar, right? Ho ho ho! It made it so much easier. But you know what? I think that life in the spirit can be like that too. Some of us may feel like we've got the second-hand used lawnmower. Some of us may have the ride-on lazy boy seat. It doesn't matter. If we don't know where the power switch is, it doesn't work so good. This morning, I feel like God wants uh, to give us joy, to let us know what is available to us, to stop struggling in our own strength, to stop wondering how other people are doing it, and give us real joy and real power for life. So let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you stand ready and waiting and eager to bless us this morning, that you're calling us forwards, you're calling us to yourself. We turn our attention to you, Jesus. Thank you that you've always greeted us with a smile. You're ready and waiting and expectant for us this morning. And so we're just confident and filled with faith that you have good things for us. Would you teach me from your word this morning? Would you lead us into new things in your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, There's a professional photographer. His name is uh, Jacob Peters. He runs a a small photography firm. And he was contacted by a client who asked him if he would please come and take sunrise proposal shots of him proposing to his girlfriend at a local state park. There's a big cliff that overlooks the whole canyon of trees. It's just really the perfect spot to do a sunrise proposal. So Mr. Peters said yes. He got up at about 4 a.m. on a Saturday morning, packed up 30 pounds of equipment, drove to the state park, hiked an hour in, found a good secluded lookout where he could get a good shot of everything that was going on, set up his equipment, waited. There's no cell phone service or anything like that, so you just got to wait for them to, to walk on up. At 6.15, they did. They walked on up. 
He starts taking photos. The guy gets down on one knee, pulls out the ring. She smiles. They hug. It's clear everything's going well. Takes about 700 shots, uh, packs up his equipment, hikes down the mountain, heads home. Sends his client an email, says, congratulations, I got some beautiful shots. I think you're really going to like them. His client says, really? I was looking for you. I didn't see you at all. I was signaling to you. I was wearing a blue plaid shirt. Apparently, he had been running about 15 minutes late with his girlfriend. And at the exact time and space that they were supposed to be there, another couple, <laughs> another couple arrived beforehand. You know, sometimes close is nowhere near. Halfway done doesn't count at all. Best efforts don't change anything. The job just had to be done right the first time. If I bake bread 90% of the way, it gives me a mushy loaf that's destined for the trash can, no matter how close it was. If my hairstylist cuts 95% of my hair, some of you would think it's a real improvement about the 50% she's doing right now. <laughs> But if my hairstylist cuts 95% of my hair, I'm still just not going to be happy with it. Jesus has completed his work for us. He's done it all the way, done it right, and delivered it to our doorstep. We have the real deal in Jesus. He's completed his work for us 100%. Our Bible passage today is Colossians chapter 1. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And Paul paid a great price to follow Jesus, but he also experienced real joy in the midst of sacrifices. And he explores this morning the completed work of God that we get to benefit from. The cross is effective in every way, and it's fully effective because of who completed it. Let's read Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn, he's the pattern, he's the template. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. There's nothing bigger than what God, than what Jesus created. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the substance of God's purposes and intentions for creation. He's God's pattern for life. He made everything, and he shows us how it's supposed to work. You know, how do we know what God looks like? He's so totally different. He's so totally other. He's so beyond what we can know and experience and understand. If you were to put it into a, a like pictorial form, um, we've got a picture here of what like I conceptualize it as. Um, if you can see that. God is the line that stretches in either way towards infinity. He's totally other, totally different. We understand our world. We get people, the things that happen on earth, but we just know us right? How do we comprehend a totally mysterious and totally other God? We go to the next slide. The point where that intersects, the point where that intersects is Jesus. Jesus is how we understand a God who's totally different, mysterious, other, beyond our comprehension. Jesus comes and he shows us what God is like. He makes it known to us. Verse 18, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn. He's Jesus' true template. From among the dead, he paves the way for us also to rise from the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. We want Jesus to have supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Hebrews 1.3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and he is the exact representation of God's being. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is God. Jesus is God made known to us on terms that we can understand. And then our passage moves on from talking about who Jesus is to what he's done for us. Verse 20, through Jesus, he reconciles to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He paid a great price and everything falls under the umbrella of the cross. Things on heaven, check. Things on earth, check. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, the problem was on our end. God didn't have a beef with us. God's not angry with us. We're the ones who left. But now, now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That is good news. Amen? Through Jesus, we're holy. There's no dirt on us. We have nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be afraid of. What Jesus did for us is effective in every way. Jesus died instead of us. He took on himself. He substituted himself uh, to take the consequence of us turning our backs on God. He, He took the consequences of that. And he died with us. He identifies with us in our problems. He identifies with us in suffering. He takes on himself the forces of oppression, the forces of injustice. And he also died for us. He died to bring us into new life with Jesus, to make us sons and daughters, to give us an inheritance in the kingdom of God, to give us new life. He died for us to bring us into something greater. I think, I think some of us as, as just human beings, we have this fear of God that, that he's done what he has to do, but no more. Like he's a nice guy, so he'll save us from hell. But you know, there, there's a limit to what we can ask. We don't want to test the limits of his patience. We can maybe grasp the instead of part. You know, he, he wants to save us from hell, but the with us and the for us part, we have trouble grasping that. It's my prayer for us this morning that we would grasp a little bit of what Jesus has done for us, his completed work for us on the cross. And it's my prayer for us this morning that that would give us joy, that that would give us joy knowing what God has done for us. Where are the places in your life where you feel like you can't ask for anything more from God, where he's given you, you know what you need, but you cannot make any more withdrawals on his grace and his goodness? Where are the places in your life where you feel like there might not be resurrection, there might not be renewal? Where are the places where it's hard for you to believe that Jesus has really given you everything? It could be in relationships, could be in job, vocation, things that really need to be resurrected, things that really need new life and renewal. Jesus has done it all, all. And if Jesus does everything, That means Jesus does everything for us. We can't say he's done 100%, but I only receive 40%. He's done it all. And if we think that he hasn't done it all for us, we are scorning what he has accomplished for us. This morning, I want us to be confident in the goodness of God to us, to believe it and receive it. 
Believe it and receive it. Let's start with the believing it part. Listen, people have always had trouble believing in the cross and resurrection. In the last couple hundred years since the scientific revolution, uh, skeptics have said, you know, that story about a dead guy coming back to life, you know, that was fine for them back then, but we're so much smarter now. We know so much more about science. We can't believe that now. When it comes to dead people not staying dead, those primitive Palestinians know just as much as we do. They might even know more. They had their dead staying in their house. They, they were farmers, you know, they killed animals. They know just as well as our smartest medical doctors do that dead people stay dead. Not much has changed in that regard in 2,000 years. They doubted it back then. People doubt it now. But we do have reasons for our confidence. We have reasons for our joy. The theologian N.T. Wright gives us a couple reasons why the resurrection is a historical reality. His first reason is that Jesus being killed and then raised to life was not a very attractive lie. The Greeks uh, did not believe back in the day. The Greeks didn't believe in the resurrection. Um, in the, their, their worldview, the afterlife was a liberation of the soul from the bondage of the body. They would have never gone for a resurrection. If, if you wanted to come back to life after you died, you certainly weren't very spiritual. The Jews didn't really anticipate uh, this type of a resurrection. Many of them believed in a future uh, total renewal of the cosmos, like a um, cosmic refresh button. But an individual uh, resurrection, they didn't really have a concept of that. So it wasn't a very good lie. It wasn't expected or wanted or attractive. Most people, when they lie, it's about something they want. And Jesus' resurrection wasn't desired or, or wished for. Uh, now it is. Now it would be. We have stories that include it. But that's only because we live after Jesus. It's a thing now. Second, N.T. Wright tells us, we know that the story is true because it's told pretty simply. It's straightforward. All four accounts we have in the Bible, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all say basically the same thing. We weren't expecting this. We're as puzzled about this as you are. But here's what happened. Guy dies public death. People see same guy alive afterwards. It's a plain vanilla narrative. There are no legendary embellishments. Uh, we have found uh, manuscripts that were considered heretical that included things like crowds of singing angels, talking crosses. But that's not what we get from the Bible at all. The Bible doesn't give into it. It's not as impressive or, or flowery uh, as a good lie would be. And most importantly, most importantly, all the disciples were willing to die for this story about Jesus. Who dies? Who dies a horrible, painful death for something that's false? This is Lee Strobel's main point in his book, The Case for Christ. He's a lawyer and he digs into some of the evidence around Jesus's life. And he says, you can tell a lot about a story by how people back it up. About 500 people say that they saw Jesus after his resurrection. So unless 500 people were in on a carefully crafted lie, an unwanted, attractive lie, unattractive lie in their cultural context, unless people agreed to tell that story simply, backed up only by their personal testimony and a very specific understanding of scripture, unless those people all agreed to die for this lie, then Jesus really did rise from the dead. A while back, Newsweek did an article, and it concluded that Jesus likely, you know, it's highly, highly possible, Jesus likely did rise from the dead. Why? 
because there's no other possible explanation for the start and early exponential growth of the Christian church. And friends, I mean, I believe this with my whole life. Why? Because it's just, it's exactly the kind of thing that my God would do. The, the God I believe in, the God I have experienced, mm, this, this is him all the way. Jesus is in the resurrection business. God is in the resurrection business. He's in the business of taking the things that are broken and dead in my life, those places of sorrow, and raising them up. The work he's done in my life, the work I've seen him do in friends' and families' lives. God is in the resurrection business. The theologian Robert Jensen said that God is whoever raised Jesus from the dead and before that raised Israel out of Egypt. God chooses a people of slaves to deliver them and make them a light to the nation. God brings the dead to life. God is in the resurrection business. And Jesus died not just to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us to make available to us the riches of his love, to let us live in abundance, to transfer us out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. Jesus' death and resurrection is effective in every way. It gives us access to all that Jesus has. Um, when I was in college, my sister and I, we, we went to Rome together. It was my second time out of the country, my sister's first time out of the country. My college had actually really messed up my study abroad, so they, um, they refunded uh, my tickets. They weren't refundable. So my sister and I get to, got to travel together. We were juniors in college, and um, it was really a wonderful, wonderful trip, one of my favorite memories. We were able to do most things um, pay for, you know, the hostel online with our credit card and, and plan out a lot from the States. And, you know, we didn't have much money. We're, we're in college and, and these, these tickets were, were free. Um, so we figured, hmm, we've already paid for the hostel. We've got free plane tickets. It's four days in Rome. How much money do you think we need? And we said, I definitely think $100 should be enough for us for four days in Rome. And when you transfer it to euros, it's not much. But it seemed, it seemed like it was enough still. We ended up having, to, it was late when we got in, so we ended up having to take a taxi from uh, where our bus dropped us off to the hostel. I mean, guys, we were left with like 20 euros for four days in Rome. So we went to a grocery store. We bought a loaf of bread and a jar of Nutella, which Nutella wasn't common back then, so we were really happy about our Nutella. And, you know, we sit, sat on benches eating our little Nutella sandwiches, which we wrapped in napkins. Napkins was toilet paper from the hostel, which we wrapped in napkins and then sat outside and ate. And we're like, mm, this is so much better than a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And we're really quite happy. We certainly could not afford the one euro for a subway pass for the day, so we walked a lot, and we were hungry. Like, let's be honest, we were hungry. There was one day when I, we came back in the middle of the day to the hostel, and I, I had a life raft moment. We, we had a box of granola bars, which we had taken with us on the plane, and um, I panicked. I ate like three granola bars. I just I couldn't stop. I was so hungry. I think somewhere along the way, I'd heard my dad say, how do you get money in other countries through traveler's checks? And I just thought, okay, you either have traveler's checks, which we don't have, or you do currency exchange, which we already did. It never occurred to me 
that the ATM card in my pocket to Bank of America would really be perfectly effective and would access me some more funds. So my sister and I, I mean, we were so happy and positive. We walked past ATMs. We walked six or seven miles a day walking past ATMs. Like, it sure is a shame to never eat pasta in Italy. Trudge, trek past an international bank. I really wish, you know, I could taste a cappuccino in Italy. You know, never had gelato. Rome was an amazing place. I was in heaven for four days, but I had no clue that anything more was available to me. Friends, know what's available to you. Know what's available to you in Jesus. He takes us to the high places of blessing in Him. Long before He laid down the foundations of the world, He had us in mind as the focus of His love to be adopted as sons and daughters through the death of Jesus. Know what's available to you. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, His blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're free. Not just barely squeaked free either. We are completely free. In Christ, we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Know what's available to you. In Jesus. Worship team, if you guys want to come on up. Joy is available to us in Jesus. The story of the Bible is that we are chosen. We are chosen. We are favored. We're resurrected. Not because of anything we've done or not done, not because of what we've believed or said or prayed. Jesus loves me because he loves me. He loves us because he loves us. It's kind of a ridiculous amount. There's no, no limit. It's over the top. There's no reasonable limit to how much he really loves us. Jesus said, unless, unless a seed, a grain of wheat, is buried in the ground and dies, it's never more than a grain of wheat. But if it's buried, it sprouts and it grows and it produces. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life as it is destroys that life. But if you die, you'll have life forever, real and eternal. Uh, you will rise and become much more. You'll bloom and you'll flourish. We're given an invitation in Jesus to fall into his arms and to surrender, to die that he would raise us up. None of us can resurrect ourselves. Some of us can manage to stay alive, but none of us can resurrect ourselves. That surrender and that renewal comes only through Jesus. Would you stand and pray with me? We're going to move into a time of worship this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning, when we think about all that you have done for us, how you have died instead of us, with us, for us, how you want to give us access to all that you have how you want to resurrect us, give us new life, we say thank you. Jesus, I pray this morning that we would have real joy following you, knowing what you have done for us, Jesus. 
and pray this morning that we would see you, Jesus, that we would see you for who you are, your goodness and your grace. We would see your work for what it is, completed and effective. And Jesus, I do pray this morning um, that some of us would have very specific visions of you in Jesus' name. If we would really see you, we would really experience you. Jesus, you are right around the corner with hands full, hands full of good things for your children. You know, when you know someone, you know what to expect from them. And Jesus, I know you and I know what to expect from you. You're right around the corner waiting to just surprise us and give good things to your children. Would you come now, Holy Spirit, as we worship?